Welcome to Hardware Addicts, a proud member of the Destination Linux Network. Hardware Addicts is the podcast that focuses on the physical components that power our technology world. In this episode, we're going to discuss a whole series of rumored and confirmed handheld computers and gaming devices. We're going to ask the question, what we would want to see in the specs and which ones have a take our money designation. Then we head to the camera corner where Wendy will discuss the reverse lens technique. So sit back, relax, and plug in because Hardware Addict starts now. I'm Ryan, your tech guide through the universe, and with me today are my two co-hosts, Wendy, our resident photographer extraordinaire, along with hardware enthusiast, and Michael, the software sage and hardware padawan. Let's find out what tech adventures everyone has had this week. Michael, what have you been up to? Well, I've been doing a little bit of hardware stuff, but I wanted to kind of like do a follow-up to a previous one we talked about because I got some unfortunate news related to the desks we talked about in, I think, like four episodes ago or something like that, where we were talking about how you could get these really cool sit-stand desks and stuff like that. Autonomous. and Yes, autonomous desk. And the problem, what I wanted to bring it back up is because I got an email from them saying they increased their prices, so I went and checked it, and they essentially doubled their prices. So Whoa. it's like it's basically all the times the people who were. I actually had someone ask me like, did did the prices go up? So I went and checked, and the price for the the desk that I have is now basically an extra five hundred dollars to get it. So uh, that's the, insane. The reason, yeah, it was when I bought my desk, it was like five hundred and fifty dollars. Now it's nine hundred and ninety nine. So. The the main reason I was promoting that desk is because it was a reasonably good price. And now with, I mean, they gave some reasons that sound like just excuses, but sure, whatever. The The price that they are now is kind of similar to uh, to like the other, the, the market itself. I'm curious so like, what excuses they were giving, though, because I've heard that Wood specifically has gone through the roof. People can't get it. I see all kinds of posts on Reddit and things about people joking about how the price of wood is just through the roof. I would imagine other materials like metal as well are impacted through the shortages everyone's having everywhere, it seems like, not just in CPUs and GPUs and the chip world. I can say firsthand that metal prices are definitely through the roof. We have a smoker trailer that my husband was building for me springtime last year and that has been on hold because to get the sheet of metal that we need now to finish it costs so much more they did say it was supply chain stuff they didn't say exactly what materials were problematic but they did say it was something about the supply chain requiring them to increase the prices I was more shocked of how much the increase happened. Right. Because like it, it's one thing to increase it to a degree. I, I understand that. It's the fact that they just went, they just doubled it. And it, that's, I mean, it's not, not every line is doubled, but I have like the really big version desk and that one is definitely doubled. And it was, uh, it was just a surprising number because I had someone ask me about it because they heard the episode, went and looked it up and said, that can't be right. And they sent me a message asking me about it. So then I, went and looked myself and turns out, you know, there's a big jump. The so, unfortunate I mean, thing about the inflation that's happened with so many products because of the supply and demand is I don't think a lot of them will ever go back to those older prices. 
So when the supply chain fixes, it will just be the norm to pay these much higher prices for things. I think that's kind of our new future. I don't think the prices are just will suddenly drop down once the supply gets picked back up. Well, yeah, if people are still continuing to buy it for the higher price, I think they would just kind of keep it there. I mean, I'm not sure about this particular company in general, but it just makes sense because the higher end like desks seemingly were like kind of starting at the the range that they that the autonomous went to. So they're not they're still cheaper in comparison to like the really big brand names or whatever, but they're or like the the most popular on YouTube kind of thing but they're not as good of a deal as they used to be. Well, I'm glad I got my desk when you recommended it. I absolutely love my sit-stand desk, and I've told you 90% of the time they stay up in the standing position. The only time I've actually lowered them was when I was doing gaming and stuff with my son, and that's it. And the rest of the time while I'm working or anything else, even while I'm doing this podcast here, I'm standing. It's just a much better way to work. I enjoy it so much more, so... That's unfortunate the prices have went up, but they are still a really good desk. That they are. I'm standing at mine right now, too. And I stand at it probably 99% of the time also just because it's so much more comfortable and I can move. And I have a tendency to move while I think. And it just gives me the ability to do that. I feel like I'm kind of lazy right now sitting at my desk. You are. You're the lazy one. Stand up. You have a sit-down stand. Shame on you. You have a stool. You can sit sit slash stand. It's going now. Can you hear it? Yeah. Yes. You can hear it. Barely. Nice. Now you're not being lazy. Good job. Hey, Wendy, what have you been up to this week? Well, I was kind of wondering when my kids would decide that they actually wanted some laptops of their own. My daughter had claimed one. She's now covered the back in all kinds of different stickers. That's really fun. And then my older son came to me and said, hey, mom, can I have my own laptop too? Well, I just happened to have a laptop that he could claim. And I'm like, sure, you can use this one. And then my younger two decided, hey, mom, we want our own laptops too. And I'm so excited with the fact that they're now wanting to set aside their tablets and start using the laptops more and not just laptops. They want to make sure they're having their own laptop experience. That's pretty cool. So they're, they're not saying, what's a computer? Exactly. Turns out that advertising (laughs) didn't really age well. I think that's amazing to do that. I've been just blown away. I told you I got another Omen for my son, basically, so we could game together and stuff. And it's really been amazing how fast he adapted to the PC world. And I just think of the skills that he's gaining there. And I have to do a little bit of bragging because my son is going into the third grade. But we did the state-required testing for the homeschooling because we were homeschooling through the whole COVID thing, and he tested out at sixth grade. And so I was nice. so excited about that. But I had you know, obviously most of that's my wife. Nin- 99% <laughs> of it's my wife. But I claim 1% of that for all the Raspberry Pi PC stuff that we've done, kind of teaching him logical thinking and other stuff going along with it. I think it's a big deal. And there's nothing like having a laptop that you can claim as your very own. So they're all very excited to stickerize the back of different laptops and devices that I've already had. They've been sitting there waiting for them and they've been able to use them. But now it's extra special because they're theirs. Yeah, makes all the difference in the world. Okay, so you have to have a new toy because it seems like you've had a new toy every week, Ryan. 
Well, guess what? I have a new toy. I just got it all set up today. I haven't even flown the thing yet, but I picked up a Mavic Mini. So there's there's two versions of the DJI, DJI Mavic. They have the Mavic Mini and the Mini 2. I have the regular Mini, the original Mini. And this little drone is so teeny tiny, it is amazingly adorable. It's 249 grams. That's how much it weighs in total. It can fit in the palm of your hand, but it has a 30-minute flight time, 4-kilometer HD video transmission, vision sensor, GPS precise hover. It even has the sensors underneath so that if it can't get GPS and you don't have a GPS signal, it's using little cameras and sensors underneath to make sure uh, it can position itself and stay stable. Three-axis gimbal, 2.7K camera, really, really cool device. I went through all of the firmware updates today, kind of did the initial engine tests on it. Didn't take off because I wasn't outside, wasn't going to risk it running into a fan or something, but really seems like a high-quality product and i've had a couple different drones as you know i had the dgi phantom i've had some other of the kind of no-name drones so this is kind of getting back into the better known dji's and they just they're about half the price they were right now used that you could pick one up on ebay and things so i thought why not grab one do some flying around annoy the neighbors you know that type of stuff so I've got one. I'm going to play with it, do some flight here, maybe do some videos on it on my channel. But if you've not had a chance to play with one of these more sophisticated drones, and I'm not talking about the $20 one you go buy at Walmart and it instantly runs into a wall. I'm talking the, the higher end ones. It's quite an amazing, fun hobby and experience. I've never gotten to uh, play with a drone before, so I look forward to breaking yours. Wait, what? <laughs> what? Hmm? That probably will be what's happened because you absolutely will have to fly this when you come over. But I got all the equipment. I got the hard case for it and everything. And I think every time I take these more expensive drones and fly them, I think about that, Michael. Like, what if I just run it into a tree or something? And I also was watching a video today on this drone of someone, a duck. It was like a duck or something attacking the drone. And destroying it. <laughs> oh and I, I thought, what a weird problem. And then people were commenting like eagles and falcons and other things have attacked their drones and taken them out of the sky because it's like seen as a threat. So <laughs> now I have that in the back of my head, too, because, you know, it's it's tough seeing like three hundred dollars take off into the air. Yeah, Way that's a, that's a understandable yeah. thing. And, you, and, and they they come it goes up in the air. The drones flying, get some nice, you know, nice, some nice footage that you could put into some B-roll into your videos or whatever. and then. They go, alien, and they just attack and kill it. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, funny gone. side story. It wasn't a super nice drone. I've never got to play with one of these nicer DJI drones, but my husband wanted one for Christmas one year. He got one. The first thing he did on Christmas morning was take off and run it into a light bulb. Yay. <laughs> did, did it survive? <laughs> the, the drone survived. The light bulb did not. <laughs> was it a Christmas light? No. Interesting. Well, it was on Christmas, so I'm going to count yeah. it. I mean, that's, a good, that's a good Yeah, there's so many dangers out there for these poor little drones, and I fear mine won't have a long life, but it'll have a fun life. So there's that. It will enjoy its time on the planet. There you go. Or in the sky? I don't know. In the lake. In the lake. 
Speaking of lakes, let's talk about oceans, and that's the Digital Ocean sponsor. This episode of Hardware Addicts is brought to you by Digital Ocean. Digital Ocean has their app platform, which is a, a service that allows you to build modern cloud-native apps. With the app platform, you can build, deploy, scale apps and static websites quickly and easily. Simply point to your GitHub repository or your GitLab repository and let the app platform do all the heavy lifting for you. It has support for many programming languages such as Python, Node.js, Go, PHP, Ruby, and so much more. Plus, it has support for static sites, Docker, and container images. And with the app platform, you get high scalability and zero infrastructure management. What does that mean? Well, you simply just, like I said, point your GitHub or GitLab repository to it, and it will handle the infrastructure like the app runtimes or the dependencies. And it can also automatically scan your code and analyze it, create containers, and run them on Kubernetes clusters. It also has so much more stuff with security stuff because it also creates, manages, and renews your SSL certificates for you so you don't even have to do that. And it even protects from DDoS attacks. So much great stuff to check out the app platform by going to do.co slash DLN. And when you go there, they're going to give you a $100 free credit. That's right, $100 free credit when you go to do.co slash DLN. So go there and get your free credit, $100. That's right, just it's free money. So go to the app platform at do.co slash DLN. And we want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of Hardware Addicts. Okay, so this week I want to talk about handheld PC gaming devices. There have been so many attempts that I've seen out there at making a successful portable PC over the years. I can think of a dozen of them off the top of my head that I've seen hit the market and die away. I kind of feel like you can even maybe put tablets into this category. Michael's favorite quote, what's a PC from Apple and things out there as kind of a portable PC variant slash gaming device. and then. Tablets obviously have been pretty successful. Android's kind of struggling right now, as I understand it, to keep the market here. Apple continues to find some success in this, but nothing earth shattering as everyone thought it was going to be. And of course, you've got some gaming handheld devices out there. You've got the original Game Boy we all loved, but you also had the Sony PSP, which was fantastic, way ahead of its time, but is no longer being sold and created. And the Nintendo Switch, which I would say is the most portable gaming device or hardware out there right now. But many companies are dreaming right now up of a handheld PC, a full PC, and it's more than just putting a proprietary mobile OS on it, like you see in tablets, like you've seen in so many of these iterations before, the Nintendo Switch even, or the Sony PSP. You've got this proprietary mobile OS. You can only do gaming on it. That's it. They're dreaming of something where you can play Call of Duty or the latest AAA game as it was meant to be played rather than some kind of scaled down mobile version of the game where it's not quite the Call of Duty you were playing on your PC, but some variant of it that's mm -hmm. kind of similar with terrible graphics. They want the full game, so you just launch it right off this handheld device. So a couple of these have made it on my radar as of recent, and one of the ones that I see a lot of people talking about is the one... Netbook 1X player. What do you think of this okay. name, first of all, Michael? <laughs> That's that is a mouthful. That is a weird name. That is one netbook the name of the company? Yes. I th yeah, I think so. Do they one sell netbook. netbooks? Or one netbook would either be the name of the company or it's the name of the line, maybe total. Well, the it name is... the product is one next one X player, but it but I what I don't I'm not sure about is that do they actually sell netbooks? Because that name is just really weird. Because also, I'm I, I thought that netbooks were gone, 
So when I saw that name, I was like, that's just, that's a confusing name. But it looks like a cool device, even with the weird name. So they had a $25,000 funding goal. And currently, they are at 7,689% of that goal, meaning they're at $1,982,149. They so barely made it. They barely made it. In fact, this was funded <laughs> in less than 15 minutes. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Wow. So there's a lot of people out there looking for this kind of hybrid PC device. I want to talk about what's inside this specific one. So for CPU, you get an Intel Core i7, 1165G7, or the i5, 1135G7. There is no dedicated graphics. Instead, you get the Intel Iris Xe. You get 16 gigabytes of DDR RAM, DDR4 RAM. The storage is PCIe 4.0. SSD or one terabyte, so 512 or one terabyte, depending on which one you choose. The display is 8.4 inch IPS, 358 PPI with a resolution of 2560 by 1600. You get two USB 4.0 ports, Type-C, USB 3.0, Type-A's, 3.5 millimeter audio. It's amazing in this little form factor, they packed more ports than anything Apple has to offer. Battery, 59 watt hours, wireless, Wi-Fi 6, Bluetooth 5, size of 288 by 130 by 21 millimeters and a weight of 820 grams. And this campaign ends on June 2021. So just, well, ends in eight days or less, actually, and it ships in June. Eight days or less are left on this. By the time you hear this, though, you're going to have a lot less days left to go back this thing if you want to pick one up. And it looks like the starting price is about $899 and goes up from there. The hardware doesn't seem like that. That price doesn't seem that bad for the hardware because the hardware is, to me, it's kind of shocking to have a 2K display in such a tiny... We don't even have 2K displays in laptops yet, really. I mean, we do, but they're not common. So to have it in such a compact form, plus all the other specs that you said, like the 4.0 PCIe for a handheld thing. That's anyway, it's kind of shocking. So the price doesn't seem that it, it, it's expensive, but it's not insane. So uh, it does seem like a, a reasonable choice. And I, I'm really, I'm actually kind of interested like that 15 minutes. It's that shows how important this market is because it, I, I didn't even know about it until it was already 7,000% backed. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's quite amazing. I was surprised as well that this many people are looking for this kind of solution. But here you have a full Windows 10 PC. So I, I want to paint that picture yep. of what differentiates it. It looks like a giant Nintendo Switch, but you boot into a full operating system. I imagine you're navigating with the thumbsticks, which I think that would be pretty clunky to kind of navigate Windows 10 in a little tiny screen. 8.4 inch screen with thumbsticks moving that mouse around to try to launch stuff. So far, what yeah. I've seen on the reviews, you're right when it comes to the clunkiness. They definitely have some more driver style things to do to have that be smoother. But also since they have Bluetooth, I, I imagine you could just connect a Bluetooth keyboard and mouse to it. Yeah, absolutely. You could definitely probably get a dock for this thing or just mount in some of the ports a external keyboard or mouse and that would make it more useful Definitely the portable on the go thing is going to be probably launching into Steam and playing some games straight from there. It's kind of cool that you can do so, although Intel Iris has come a long way. The, the integrated 
GPUs from Intel, but they're still not that powerful. So you're not going to be having the greatest frames per second out of every game that you're playing, but I wouldn't imagine it would be terrible either. You could play a lot of AAA games on here on probably some of your lower or medium settings. Well, I also think that it's kind of interesting that they, I mean, I understand why they chose Windows to do it, but it is, but considering the limitations of the device and like, it's not like incredibly limited, but they could do so much more with some, with, with using Linux, for example, or, you know, that focusing on mostly like Steam support as a, as a goal rather than having the full blown uh, Windows approach. But uh, it is, it is kind of interesting. I, I think that the clunkiness with the joystick stuff is definitely going to be a thing that's always going to be an issue regardless of the device because if they're going to have a full-blown operating system that's not designed for that it's going to be something like that it kind of reminds me of like when you have those like uh, tv mouse uh, compensation thing where you use the remote arrow pad stuff to move around the fake mouse i would imagine it's something like that now, they're claiming some really good FPS in some of these games here. They're showing games like Apex Legends on the i5 getting 60 to 95. I just imagine you're going to spend most of your time in 60 in that range. That's a pretty big range, right? Anywhere between 60 and 95 frames per second. Um, the i7 is 72 to 115, they're saying. The 1165G7 and the 1185G7 between 76 and 120 frames per second. Apex Legends is a pretty... Hmm high-end graphically intensive game. So if these are anywhere near the truth, then you're going to have a pretty good gaming experience on this. Now, Fortnite, 46 to 63, and then on the i7s, 56 to 80, and 60 to 85, depending again on which of the CPUs that you get in your device. But that's perfectly playable. It may not be ideal for a desktop, but for a portable handheld, those are some pretty good numbers if they're really able to knock that out consistently. I think my biggest concern with a device like this would be the heat. The heat definitely would be an issue with these, but it does have massive vents on the back of it. If you'd seen the back of it, they're absolutely huge. And I saw a basic teardown. Basically, they've taken the back off the device and there are some pretty big fans in there working on trying to keep it cool. But if you're playing it for a long time, I do wonder what that temperature is in the hand. Yeah, it kind of reminds me if, if you took the Intel Nook and then slapped some controllers on the side of it, kind of what you would be trying to deal with. And the Nook did an amazing job with keeping the heat and things down, but those fans got really, really loud. So they've done some really intense engineering here. If people get these in hand and it's able to stay very, very cool in high-end gaming and things like that. But either way, I think it's a really cool concept. They do have a magnetic keyboard accessory, by the way, that you can slap on to put this into kind of a laptop mode. So you can try to use this for working things. Although because the joystick knobs and buttons are built in, it's really funny. They have this one image of the device kind of propped up on a kickstand with the magnetic keyboard attachment and a guy in a suit kind of working at the office or something on it. And I don't know that my uh, office would like buy it. They'd be like, really? That's a video game device you're pretending to work on. But still, it's cool that you can do that. As far as product pictures go, I don't know that I'd set up the shot like this. Just yeah. saying. Oh, you, you're giving some photography critiques on this. Yeah. I don't think a suit's the yeah, right yeah. 
thing here either. Like, and I don't know, you need you need kind of a more uh, t-shirty type person on there in a coffee shop, kind of hanging out, playing on it. I could see that I more think, realistic. I think they're going for the executive synergy mark. Executive. I don't think many executives. Although it would be, I would be an executive I'd want to work for if they had one of these on their desk. I'll put it that way. <laughs> I would love to see that scene as the executive walks into the office with this tucked under his arm instead of a laptop. All right, I'm ready to give my presentation. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This could be our future. Who knows? All right, so the next (laughs) device that caught my attention is the Alienware UFO. Alienware, owned by Dell, has released some really interesting concept designs that have even made it into reviewers' hands, although information on this portable PC are still very sparse. The Alienware UFO is a mini PC slash gaming console with a full OS, unlike a Switch. The concept looks just like the device we were talking about. In fact, they probably could have rolled off the same factory line. In fact, most of these we're going to talk about seems like they could roll off the same factory line with slight differences. Um, Like the Switch, it appears to have the ability to undock the controllers, which is cool, and use it as a screen and rumored to be using Intel as well inside of this again we don't have all the details on that but much bigger name there Uh, i think they showed this off at one of the big conferences and shows and it's rumored that it could come out sometime this year or early next year but dell kind of putting their hat in or testing the market with this handheld pc gaming device as well i have to give them props for the name as well alienware's ufo I like it. That is a cool name. Yeah, I like that name. And the prototypes that I've seen, the design of the overall case actually looks pretty sleek overall. It's maybe not my favorite device in general, but the way that they've built the outside of it, it looks pretty nice. Yeah, I like the looks of a lot of what Alienware has been putting out lately. It's different, and I think that stands out. If you look at their Alienware desktops, you know, they definitely catch my son's attention when you walk by one in a Best Buy and those type of things. They generally look really cool, and they've done a much better job, I would say, over the years improving the Alienware line. They used to be the creme of the creme, one of the best that you could get, and then they kind of went through some periods where not so much, and they're trying to bring that brand back, and I think that's a good thing, and the UFO would be a pretty cool way to do it. Next up, we have a company that has almost gotten me to purchase one of their devices, I don't know, dozens of times, but I just never quite click through the cart to purchase it because I don't know of an excuse of why I need it. And that's GPD. And GPD Mm -hmm. has been a long time player in this micro portable PC market. Have either of you heard of GPD before? Yeah, they made the Pocket series. Yeah. Like there's, yep. I've seen a few of those. I played with those a couple times, and uh, those those are very interesting in terms of how they they work. The first I, I've only actually used the first pocket, uh, and it was really interesting. But it was also like it, its keyboard was a little wonky. But the one the follow pocket two was considered like a solid device by a lot of reviewers. So the GPD being in this space totally makes sense that they would be in like a handheld structure. Uh, though I'm curious, like how you know how how long they've been around? Have they gotten to the point where their products will be like? Are they the main player in this space? You would think they would be because they've been in this market longer than anybody else. I could I personally have known of as a company. They've got two devices. They've got multiple, more than two, but there are two devices I'm going to talk about today that I think fit this category. They have the Win Three, which is a handheld game console. 
and it is kind of a straight unibody form, just like you see with the Nintendo Switch-like device. And then they have the Win Max, which is a handheld gaming laptop in the clamshell format that probably you're more familiar with with their pocket design, Michael. And the Win 3 is 5.5 inches and the Win Max is 8 inches. The Win 3 is one of their newer ones, obviously, because you get the 11th gen Intel inside there. So you get the 1165 G7 or the 1135 G7. The Win Max looks like it has an i5 1035 G7. And when you look at the specs, the Win 3 has a Thunderbolt 4 and the Win Max has a Thunderbolt 3. So again, just an age thing, but just comparing the devices over each other. Both the Win 3 has an Intel Iris Xe graphics and the Win Max has the Intel Iris Plus 940 inside of it. So they they have some pretty decent specs, I would say. When you look at the frame rate of some of the games here, like Valorant is a pretty recent game. They're claiming somewhere between 61 uh, on the, of course, 1165 G7, 61 to 109, and the 1135 G7, 51 to 91 frames per second. So again, they're kind of claiming that you're going to be in that 50, 60 frames per second with these two different devices here. I would trust GPD probably a lot more in some of these other companies just because I know they're going to release the product and they have their, they've been out there for such a long time as a company. So that definitely has my interest as far as backing one of these devices would go. Now the GPD Win 3 is estimated to come out in July 2021 and there's currently an Indiegogo again for this one out there. It looks pretty cool. I like the slide up version. So you slide up the screen and the keyboards underneath. I think it's pretty cool how they've kind of worked it in there. It also has a dock that you can dock this device and of course use your keyboard and mouse and things in it. Very similar again to these other devices we're talking about. For the most part, there's some minor changes in the aesthetics and stuff between them all. I could say again, they could come off the same factory line and I wouldn't be shocked. But GPD, you can't you can't do this segment and not talk about them. Yeah, they do seem to be like a pretty big player in the space. I mean, this these devices seem good. Like they seem okay. There's nothing about them that screams that much uh, to me because the smaller version, you get the better hardware and the competitors in the space like that 1X player or whatever is roughly around the same price, actually maybe even a little bit cheaper. And it's a bigger device with the same rel- like level of um, like Intel stuff. So it doesn't seem like it's that. And you're getting a much better screen with the 1X player. And I think that's why it sold out in 15 minutes. You're getting that 2560 by 1600 versus the Win Max at 1280 by 800 and the GPD Win 3 at 1280 by 720. And that is a huge yeah. difference, I think, between the two. But there is something to be said about the fact that GPD has repeatedly put the hardware out there. They've run the campaigns. They've released the hardware. And another thing that I like about GPD as a company in general is that none of their devices, or at least the ones that I've seen so far, especially talking about the pocket ones, have been locked to an OS. You've been able to change the operating system that they're running. Yeah, the very first pocket actually came with Windows and Linux as options. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They Uh, need to go back to that. That was cool. They should. I think the other big difference here is you're kind of 
changing out the screen resolution in the first one. So if gaming's your primary focus, it would make sense to go there. But with the GPD, you've got that slide out keyboard, which is backlit and has haptic feedback built into it. So it's not like an afterthought there. But having that keyboard for somebody on the go could be more important in a device than the screen resolution. I see what you're saying. You're trying. You're saying that the GPD is the better synergistic ex- executive device for their. Wow. Whatever. There you go. They should have the person <laughs> in the suit at a coffee shop. Yeah. But I have to say, out of all these all these options, the Alienware UFO sounds interesting, but we don't know enough. The One X player sounds really good, but we it also is like the first time I've ever heard of this company, so I'm kind of on the fence. None of these have had me make me go take my money yet. Like they're all like, eh. Maybe. I was going to say, definitely the advantage to the GPD with the slide out keyboard is one of the biggest complaints I've seen while looking at reviews of these various devices is that the onboard keyboard, the touch keyboard, is absolutely garbage, especially when you're dealing with that size form factor of a screen trying to type stuff out is very uncomfortable. And so there is a win to the GPD with the slide physical keyboard. That's a really good point because a lot of these services, including Steam, you're going to have to sign in with a username. You're going to have to sign in with a password. You're going to have to you know, go to certain websites and type in the address and doing that with an on-screen keyboard that's not a very good touchscreen keyboard could be a real game changer for a lot of these different devices. And the GPD definitely has a lot more flexibility there to be used for more than just games. All right, but there's one more console. Since nobody screamed take my money yet, there's one more console I want to talk about that's being rumored out there, and that's the Steam Portable Gaming Machine, the portable Steam console. So this is just kind of a rumor right now, but it's such a cool rumor that I just couldn't not cover it. The rumor is that this device is going to be called SteamPal, And Ars Technica says that they've confirmed that this is indeed in production and is going to be released this year. And it makes sense considering you're seeing all of these kind of devices launching this year or first thing next year already. So there's a big kind of uh, ramp up in supply chain here for these kind of devices going on. So it makes makes sense that Steam would be, Valve would be jumping into this. And we don't know what kind of hardware it's going to be. We don't know what price it's going to be, but it's Valve, man. It's it's Valve. Mm-hmm. I mean, this one, we know even less about this than we do the, the UFO from Alienware. And this one has me the most interested, mostly because of Valve. Like the fact that Valve has been, you know, just nailing it for years and making gaming so much better on you know their own like their own push for different platforms and like their game their games themselves like every time valve makes a new game it's always a big you know big hype thing around it because they make such good games so while the steam pal is an interesting name for it i don't know why it's but, not tough but it's kind of cute steam pal yeah it's kind of you know? cute i was, th- I was got thinking my maybe steam, steam pal go, here in my pocket like steam on the go but yeah. uh it's actually good. I, I do think that's it's not a bad name. It's just anyway. But the Valve part of it, I I think that is really cool. And we talked about this previously because you you brought you you during the week you let me know about this, and I was I had to just dig in, and I I saw that it is using Linux as the operating system powering or in the rumor anyway powering the console, which is fantastic because pushing that as a as a focus means that the 
resources of the hardware will not be thrown away on Windows. And that makes it makes me even more interested being able to get as much out of the hardware as possible by them doing that. It makes it even more intriguing. And I think that Valve, I hope Valve does this because it would be a huge boon to the, the space to have someone like Valve creating their own handheld device. Well, let me ask this, Wendy, if you were on the Valve design team or they called you, they might, they should if they were smart and said, what kind of hardware <laughs> do we throw in this thing? What would you be looking at here? I would love it if there was AMD CPU with AMD and maybe not necessarily GPU, but AMD integrated graphics, especially because that works really well with Linux already. So if they're actually using that as their operating system, fingers crossed, that there's already a really good base right there to make sure that the drivers and the system works awesome. I'd love to see that in there. The larger screens would be nice. And I do like the one where you can take the game pads off of it and almost take it into a tablet-esque mode. We'll kind of see what they do. On one side, I'm a little bit worried because Valve has done some different hardware options that have had runs, not done so well, and then dropped them off. So I'm curious as to what this looks like and if it's actually competitive because sometimes they've had some things drop hardware-wise that wasn't quite competitive and they just didn't keep going. They take a lot of risks with their hardware. For instance, the Steam controller, I think, was a big risk. Nobody was doing a controller like that. But they were really trying to figure out a way to kind of integrate the keyboard into a controller, have that mouse control still, and do it in a very different way than your standard kind of thumbsticks. It didn't quite land for most people. I enjoyed it for some games, but there were other games it just wasn't really playable with. And frankly, it's kind of sat Right. since I've purchased it uh, and I've not used it much more than uh, the initial run with it. So it's something you could get used to. It was unique. They took risks. I really like your ideas of doing some AMD inside of this with a high-end resolution, a 2K resolution in this, lots of ports. I love the idea of having the controllers be able to come off just like the Switch has so that you can take it around in a tablet mode. I think that would make it attractive for going on vacations and trips and those type of things. I think somewhere between that eight inch screen size is perfect. Uh, as far as battery on any of these, I wouldn't be expecting much more than an hour or two at best to be able to game on battery. That's not what I would necessarily be looking for. This is something that I would have probably a separate battery pack in my backpack or something they would be connected to if I was gonna play it on a plane and those type of things. But for the most part, this is something I would be looking at that I'd have to find a plug Right. And, and most places provide that now, coffee shops and other stuff where you'd plug this in and just start playing any different environment. But I, I would take the best of what we're seeing hardware wise in that 1X player, switch it to AMD instead of Intel, because I think you're just going to get a little more graphics performance, especially if you go to the 5000 series and the mobile chip and uh, a little less energy consumption on that. Same amount of ports, screen resolution, removable controllers. And I think they would have a hit on their hands. Absolutely. But there already is a device that you didn't mention that does have AMD inside. Are you going to call me out right here on this show? Oh, <laughs> you betcha. All right, do it. Well, it's the AIA Neo, and this looks really cool. So it does have the AMD inside running the Ryzen 5 4500U. 
So it's not the latest generation of chip, but it's really cool to see one of these devices running AMD. It also has some of the most USB-C ports of any of the devices out there with three USB-C. So is there anything else about this device when I'm looking at it here again? Looks like a Nintendo Switch. Doesn't look like the mm -hmm. controllers remove off of the side of it, but very cool looking device. Of course, has the AMD. I wish they had the 5000 series in here. They got the 4500U, which is going to be more equitable to the 11th gens uh, that we're seeing in some of these portable devices that we covered. Although I think the 11th gen Intel's integrated GPUs are going to be slightly faster than the AMD in this case because it's the 4000 series, not the 5000 series. But for the most part, looks pretty on par with everything else we've been looking at. It does. It does seem like maybe the battery might last a little bit longer. It says five to six hours for lower TDP settings, up to 140 minutes for a demanding AAA game. And then you can have fast charging with a full charge in 90 minutes. I do like some of those specs. One of the really cool things about this if you got on the bandwagon early, you were able to pick up a model that had a clear case, which I actually love that about this particular one because you can actually see some of the components inside, including your fan. And these are completely sold out. So this campaign also reached $2,315,964. I think at the end of the day, what we can say here for sure is that there is a huge push from the hardware designers to get this portable full operating system PC into people's hands. You can see it from Dell, GPD, Valve potentially in here, and a bunch of companies you may not have heard from before, but all coming to market with these devices. And the fact that they're all hitting their goals and selling out says a lot that the consumers are kind of hungry for this kind of device. The Nintendo Switch, I think, got people thinking of what a portable PC could be. And the fact that you could run the type of games that you want and do other things on it without being locked down to some kind of proprietary or mobile OS like you do in a tablet or with a Nintendo Switch or other type of portable gaming device, that that's something that's really speaking to people. Obviously, they're saying take my money a lot. Which one of the devices did we cover today? If I said, I'm going to give you the money, but you got to pick one of these, would you all go for? If I have to pick, I would say that there are two options that I would, I would go with, both of which we don't know much about, but I'm hoping that they're going to be comparable to the, the One X player. I think hardware-wise, I think the One X player looks great, but I'm so curious what St Valve will do. Also, the Alienware UFO, I'm interested in that too, but... I'm mostly curious about what Valve because I, I'm a Steam gamer and I, I would it would be amazing to be able to have a handheld device that I could just play the games that I already own. The reason I don't have a Switch is because you have to get all the other all the games for it and all that stuff, and I'm not that interested. But to be able to get a handheld device and just play the games I already have, which is a lot based on my over a decade usage of Steam, that would be a huge huge thing i would love to have something like that where i could just instantly have a giant catalog that would be amazing i'm really torn between the steam device that we don't know much about and the neo and part of the reason why i'm torn between the two is while yes the screen size might be smaller on the neo 
If I'm having something that's possibly going to dock anyway, the dock on the Neo looks just absolutely awesome. I don't know why I'd want to dock it, but it looks really cool. So I'm torn between what Steam might be doing, what Valve might be doing, and the Neo. Yeah, Valve's at the top of my list as well. The GPD would have been if the resolution on the screen was a little bit better. And again, I get that they have a keyboard and things, but how useful is any of that going to really be at the end of the day? I just don't know. I'm, I would pick up the Steam Portable, likely, probably will if they ever release one, whether it's good or not, because Valve. And the other one that's got my attention is the Alienware UFO, just because I think that they could release something really intriguing and awesome here, and you'd have a lot of more potential for longer support from a more established company with the accessories and other devices that go along with it. So those are the two that are take my money. GPD, if they could raise the resolution on their device here, would probably be up there otherwise for me at the top. So there you have it. Those are our picks, and this is what's happening in the marketplace. And hopefully, unlike GPUs, we'll actually be able to get our hands on these things, and there'll be <laughs> plenty of them if you're interested in picking one up. I think it's a really cool concept and idea. And I'm very excited to see where this goes in the hardware hardware world. I think it's really great that they're doing this sort of stuff because I know a lot of people who have wanted have wanted a powerful handheld device for you know not just gaming but also just com regular computing and in general. And having something like this that could be you know I guess the the size of them depending on how big they are they could be fitting in your pocket or just you could carry them around with a, in a small bag and that sort of stuff like this has potential to be not only just great for gaming, but also just great for the computing market because I was, I was a fan of the netbook like genre, but they were also really underpowered. And I just like the form factor of a small device that I can use when I need to and traveling or whatever, and not have to carry a giant laptop. Now I also want to have a laptop when I'm doing genuine work because as an executive with synergy, I would need a bigger device, nice. right? Nice. But I need a bigger device for that. But in terms of like the average consuming, you know, day-to-day -day kind of thing in a travel mode, a netbook always seemed great to me. And this seems like we're at a stage where the devices have gotten, where they've kind of caught up to what people wanted in the first place. Yeah, that's an interesting way to look at it. And I was just thinking, Wendy, that, you could get one of these devices and install Bitwarden. Absolutely, Ryan. And this episode is sponsored by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the password manager that we use and trust. Bitwarden lets you set up things like a pin to easily access your password manager, as well as additional authentications, such as a master password, adding phrases to fingerprint security, all to keep your passwords safe. Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals, teams, and businesses to store, share, and sync their sensitive data. Go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started for free. Bitwarden is the password manager that I have chosen to use personally because it is 100% open source. You can self-host it, plus they do security audits, and they share all of that information with you. Go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started for free. Say you want to support this amazing open source project. You can get a premium account for just $10 per year. What do you get with that? 
one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, or Duo, Vault Health Reports, TOTP Authenticator, Storage, and Generation, plus priority customer support. Make the smart move like many in the community have and go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started for free. If you're like me, though, you're going to want to give some support to this amazing open source project and get that premium edition that starts at just $10 per year. Thanks to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of Hardware Addicts. All right, Wendy, take us into the camera corner and tell us about a reverse lens technique. All right. What I want to know first is what you guys think the reverse lens technique is. Well, that's how you took a selfie with an SLR. You take the camera, you turn it around towards yourself and take the picture. My my thought is that you take the lens of the camera and then turn it around for no apparent reason, attach it that way with duct tape, and then take a photo. A little bit warmer, kind of? Yeah, what? (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was just insane, but what? (laughs) Well, you are right, Michael. You are taking your regular lens, and you are turning it around on your camera body. So you do have that part of this reverse lens technique right. But why in the world would we want to do something like that? Yes, Pretty why simply. would you want to do that? And and also, <laughs> uh, I assume duct tape was right too. Uh, no, that that was a no on the duct tape. Oh, Please do not use duct tape on <laughs> your cameras. Good. Pro tip. There we go. Too late. Pro tip. No duct tape. <laughs> There's so many people that would love to get into macro photography because it is such interesting subject matter. And when I say macro, what does that mean? You're looking at all of the tiny things around you. One of my favorite things in macro photography to take picture of is actually spiders. I might have to share a couple of those with you. It's quite entertaining. That would be awesome. It is. It's a lot of fun to lay in the garden and wait for spiders to come out. Sure. But that's a side tangent. Let's get back to the reverse lens technique. Most people don't have a macro lens just laying around on hand. They are a specific piece of hardware. And this is where you can start taking some macro images and not need an actual official macro lens. Your lens looking out, if you have it on your camera normally, you take this really big picture and you're condensing it down really, really small onto your lens in this focus. If you flip it around, it's doing just the opposite. So you're taking something that's tiny and then making it bigger on your lens. But what about dirt and debris and things that you would get on this? Because I've always seen photographers like take their lens off and then, you know, they, they keep that section, the mirror area really covered and they quickly throw the lens back on. I thought the back of the lens was sensitive to dust and debris and things like that that you would collect having it reversed like literally taking the lens and reversing it no absolutely that can definitely be an issue so if you're flipping it around and you're just holding it you are very likely to get extra dust and debris on your sensor and that's a problem it definitely affects the clarity of your pictures so what i'd recommend if you'd wanting to do something like this they actually make mounts for the reverse lens technique. You can usually pick them up for about $7. So it'll screw onto the front of your lens and then it'll mount normally onto your camera body. 
This will make sure that you've got a good seal between the two items. You're not holding it in place, and so you're not quite so worried about dust getting into your camera. But you still have all of those connectors, and even looking at this picture here, you've got those kind of um, contacts that normally would go on the inside of the camera. Is there not an issue or concern with dust and things getting onto those contacts or when you flip it back around? I mean, you wouldn't want to take a lens that you'd just been using and flip it directly around. You'd want to wipe it down with a microfiber cloth, something like that, and make sure that that outer lens is clean. This is very cool. I did not know this even existed as a thing. And $7.95 is a heck of a lot cheaper than a macro lens. Yes, it is way cheaper than a macro lens if you're wanting to get into stuff like this. One thing to note, though, if you are using a newer lens and doesn't have control of the aperture. So if you remember when we talked about four, aperture is how much light is being let into your camera. The larger that that number is, the least amount of light you are letting in. So if you have a modern camera where the body is doing all of that with the internal motors, you're going to be stuck wherever that aperture is when you take the lens off. If you have an older manual lens where you can adjust the aperture, that will actually give you way more control. So there is some cons that way too. Another issue with this is the only way you're going to focus is moving your body back and forth. But when you're working with things that are so small, you really wouldn't be autofocus anyway. Every time I've done macro photography, it has all been based on moving myself in the camera and not using that focus. So there, there is some downsides with this technique as far as how much aperture control you have, and that is highly dependent on the lens and making sure that your equipment is good and wiped down before attaching it to your camera because you do want to be conscious about the fact that dirt on your sensor is a problem. So how good does this compete with getting an actual macro lens? What kind of photography can you actually get out of using this reverse mount? I would say the best advantage of using this technique is just deciding, do you want to spend the money on an actual macro lens? I have a couple, actually I have three different macro lenses and I love them. I absolutely love shooting macro photography. I've actually used them more for different shots of food and all kinds of different things where I want to be in really close, but a standard lens just, I couldn't get that close with because it doesn't have the ability to focus that close to my subject matter. So I've loved it for that. And like I said, I absolutely love taking pictures of bugs and all different kinds of things. I actually get a kick out of that. So if you are into taking pictures of tiny things, then go for the actual macro lens. But if you're on the fence and you're not really sure if you want to spend the money on that, this is one of those places where you can find out, do I want to or not? I actually started out using the reverse lens technique, and it's one of the reasons why I now have three macro lenses. Nice. That's really awesome. So you can get good quality pictures out of this technique. And you could save people a ton of money utilizing this if they're hobbyists. Even it sounds like professionals could play with this, right, as an option for them. 
to get some of those macro shots. Maybe if they left their macro lens at home or something like that. The quality you get definitely depends on how much control you have over the aperture. If it's really, really small and doesn't let in a whole lot of light, you're going to have more depth of field. So that's how much is in focus. But if it's one of those lenses that when you take it off, it's opened really, really wide, you can have a situation where you're not getting enough of the image in focus. And when you're dealing with macro, it doesn't take much to not be able to see what you're looking at. I actually have a picture of, it was some kind of caterpillar that I think there's over 30 different shots that were used to stack together to get the caterpillar in focus in macro style. Whoa. Now, I think it's really interesting you take pictures of bugs and even spiders. My wife hates spiders. I hate centipedes. Is there anything that scares you, Wendy? Yes, they're definitely stuff that scares me. But if I'm stalking them in the garden and they're not stalking <laughs> me, we're cool. All right, I got you. They don't know that I'm taking their photo. It's all good. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, the, the macro concept is, is a cool idea. And I didn't know that that this was a thing. So this is really, really interesting. I I probably won't do it with my camera because of fear, but of ruining it, because I assume I will break it. But this is a really interesting concept of not having to necessarily buy a macro lens and still be able to take macro photos. I actually have a couple lenses anymore that are dedicated to this completely. So the backside has a lens cap on them. I don't use them very often for that kind of stuff. They belong to a camera that, or a camera body that I don't use anymore. But it's kind of fun to play with every now and again for me because I have the macro lenses. But I figured everybody should know that it's a possibility. Nice. I love it. Well, thank you, Wendy, for telling us about that. And thank all of you for listening to Hardware Addicts. And that's it. Our 37th episode of Hardware Addicts is a wrap. Thank you for listening to the show that brings you your bi-weekly tech fix. And if you're not all lit up on tech yet, then be sure to check out all the amazing content on Destination Linux Network. Head right now. Stop what you're doing. Head to destinationlinux.network. Look at all the podcasts, subscribe to them, look at all the YouTube partners, subscribe to them. There is so much there to fill your brains with. Remember, there's no such thing as too much hardware. Learn, build, innovate, and grow. We hope you enjoyed the show. Join me and my Steam pals next time when we use the reverse lens technique to search for Alienware UFOs on the next episode of Hardware Addicts.